morning from your porches and your couches and your screened-in pools. Good morning, Northwest. And what a wonderful day. What an amazing opportunity. I'm so thankful to be here, so grateful to be able to share what God is doing in my heart and what I believe He's going to be doing in your heart this week. And if you will at home, turn to the person on your left that is sitting six feet from you and say, you look amazing. And if you will turn to the right, to the person who's sitting six feet from you at home and say, don't choke on that brand muffin. We don't want you to start coughing. There we go. All right. And if you think it's fun to be preaching to a row of pastors, you have no idea. So here we go. It is wonderful to talk about Abraham this morning. We have been going on this journey with him. And I've been thinking, what was it about Abraham? Because we know that God began to look for a a people that he could call his own, for a nation that would say, this is our God. And he could say, these are my people and I want to bless them. So we're finding out what it was about Abraham. And we know that he was not a perfect man. We know that he did the cardinal sin for women that are looking for a mate because every woman wants a man that will take a bullet for her. Every woman wants a man that will put her first. And we, yet we see Abraham shoving his wife out front saying, protect me, honey. So men don't do that. That's not, that's not good. And then we see he didn't have a perfect family. We know that Sarah, although she was gorgeous, she had a real problem with trying to be indecisive. Yes, I want my husband to sleep with this person. And no, I don't want that. And yes, I want that person. So she did what every man hates. Honey, can you just make up your mind? What do you want? Well, I don't know what I want, but you should know what I want. So these two were really quite a pair. And yet God said, Abraham and Sarah, I'm going to make a mighty nation out of you. So we know it's not perfection that God's looking for, but as we've understood and as we've heard the last three weeks, we see something about Abraham that's truly amazing. Because if you think about it, Abraham didn't have the Ten Commandments. He didn't have the things that we know are are good versus bad. He didn't have any of that. But what he had was God imprinting on his heart, a heart to serve God. And so when, when God says, we found out from Pastor Peter the first week, God said, Abraham, will you follow me? I'm going to take you someplace you've never gone before. I'm going to take you to a land where you don't even have relatives. Will you follow me? And Abraham said, yes, I'll follow you, God. Then the next week we learned that God said to Abraham, Abraham, will you trust me? I'm going to make a mighty nation out of your seed. And I know you don't have a son yet, but will you trust me? Things seem impossible in the natural realm. Will you trust me? Abraham said, yes, I'll trust you. The last week, Pastor Mark talked about God said, Abraham, will you choose me first? Will you make me a priority? Will you put me first among all the things that you love? And Abraham said, yes, Lord, I will. So we understand that Abraham wasn't a perfect man, but he was a phenomenal man because he had a heart for God. He had a heart to trust God. And today we're going to talk about the most important test that Abraham had to discuss. 
discover about himself. Now, how many of you at home like taking tests? Some of us are far removed from take, test taking, but many of us are like, we don't like tests. They don't accurately reflect what we know. Some people say, yeah, I'm a great test taker because it actually reflects more than I know. And so everybody has their ideas about taking a test. But Abraham is about to face his biggest challenge yet. So as time has gone on, we see that we're going to start reading in Genesis. We're going to read 15 verses, so there's a lot of scripture. So open your Bibles at home, or if you have your booklet, we encourage you to look through with your booklet. This is a valuable resource. Pastor Mark and I use these booklets at home for our devotions, and we look through them, we refer to them. But time has passed since God said, please trust me, Abraham, please follow me. And Isaac, the promised son, has arrived. We know there were some, some false starts and some, some detours along the way, but Isaac is here. And about 15 years have passed when we open up on this um, passage of scripture. Theologians are a little bit not sure, maybe 15 years, maybe 20 years, but, but not more than that. And God speaks to Abraham again. Now, if I were Abraham at this point, I'd be like, Lord, please, no, 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 not another word. But Abraham has a different take on it. So let's read that. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And God said, here I am. Lord. Now, here I am is, uh, is an expression. It's not just like saying, hi, God, good morning. It's an expression that says, I am ready for your command. So when God says, Abraham, Abraham says, I'm ready for your command. I'm waiting to hear what you have to say. I find that to be tremendous. I find that to be outstanding because up until now, every time God has talked with Abraham, he's asked him to do something that seems pretty nigh impossible or very difficult. But yet here we see 15 years have passed and God once again speaks to Abraham and says, Abraham, he's like, I'm ready. What do you have to say to me, God? I'm ready. I'm ready for your command. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Gulp. Isaac represents everything that is beautiful and wonderful about Abraham's life. Abraham at this point is a very old man. He's well past 100. He is richer than any man on the face of the earth today. He wants for nothing. His wife, Sarah, is still alive, although they're so old that they're just like best friends. That's pretty much about it. And Isaac represents everything. He represents his retirement. He represents the joy of living every day. Abraham doesn't have to get up and go to work. He gets up and, and says, okay, Isaac, what are we gonna do today? What fun are we going to have today? What can I help you learn today, Isaac? This is what Isaac represented to Abraham. He was God's promise. God's promise fulfilled. And now God is saying, take your only son, Isaac, and offer him there. We're going to explain that in just a few moments, what that means. Because in our culture today, in any culture, in any time, to a parent, that seems absolutely horrific. A horrifying thing for God to say. So we're going to talk about that for just a few moments. 
So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place that God was calling him from afar. The third day. I think by the third day, I would have talked myself out of it. I think I would have figured out, I would have talked myself all the way around to where God didn't really mean what he said, and I would be headed back home. On the third day, Abraham is still trusting God. It's easy to trust God at first. Here I am, Lord, what do you, what do you have to say to me? I'm ready, I'm listening for your command. And you start out, how many times January 1st have I started out something really, really good? And by January 3rd, the third day, he gone, it's gone. But the third day, Abraham is still searching for God's will. He's still trying to obey God's voice. Faith that is true, faith that is real, is third day faith. It's not the, yes, Lord, here I'm, send me, I'm going to go. It's faith that happens still on the third day. So three days of traveling, knowing what God has asked him to do. Some of you are in your third day of faith right now. We've started this, this, we call it a campaign, but it's really a journey of faith for all of us. It's a journey to see how much of God we can trust, how we can trust God in a new way with our children, with our lives, with our home, with our vehicles, with our possessions. How much can we trust God in a greater way? And some of us are in that third day. We're thinking, Lord, what, look what's happened. Look, Father, you surely can't expect me to have a generous heart when we see what's happening around us. We're in the third day. God maybe told you to, to, to make an adjustment in a relationship. And at first you're like, yes, that person's out of here. Or yes, I'm going to witness to that person. Or yes, I'm going to adjust the way I respond to that person. And the third day, maybe that person hasn't changed. Maybe that child you've been praying for still hasn't changed. The third day, our faith needs to be strong. Like Abraham's faith was strong on the third day. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship. We will come again to you. Abraham knew God had a promise to fulfill. God promised Abraham that Isaac would be the seed through which he would bless many nations. That Isaac would be the seed that I am able to stand here. I was one of the stars in the sky that Abraham saw. You were one of the stars in the sky that Abraham saw. He knew that God had promised that. So he told the, the young men that were working, he said, you know what? We're going to go, we're going to worship God, but we're going to come back to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. So we know Isaac was big enough, strong enough to carry enough wood for the burnt offering that God required. He took in his hand the fire, so he took some coals, some embers, and the knife, and they both went together. Isaac said to his father, Father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood 
But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Where is the sacrifice for this offering? Abraham said, if you read this with me at home, what did Abraham say? God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. This tells me what Abraham was doing for three days. This tells me what Abraham was doing on day one, on day two. God, you promised. God, this is your word. God, you said that you would do, take care of both sides of the covenant. God, you promised. You said that Isaac was the son through which your promise would come to me. Lord, this is your word. I expect you to withhold your word, Father. Father, this is what you promised for three days. Abraham is rehearsing. He's telling himself about the goodness of God. He's reminding God about his promise to his family. What kept Abraham trudging up that mountain on day three was not the strength of his own conviction, not the strength of his own character, but the strength of God's character. What drives us forward is not our own strength. And those of us that have been Christians for many years know that. It's not our own strength, but a conviction, an unwavering conviction in the goodness of God and the promises of God. That's what drives us forward. That's what's driving us forward now. We know that God is good. We know that things that are outside of our control are not outside of God's control. When I was thinking about... Um, this, this topic that was assigned to me, um, we had about five weeks ago, I went with um, Pastor Crystal's team. Some of us went to Dallas for a preaching conference. It was just a room full of a thousand ladies who loved to preach and loved to teach, and it was wonderful. But to get to Dallas, I had to get on an airplane. And airplanes, while I will not let them keep me at home, airplane travel ranks up there with um, having a tooth pulled or having a root canal. It's just not something I enjoy. It's, there's nothing fun about it. I would much rather hop in a car and go on a road trip. I would have rather driven to Dallas. But my friends were all flying to Dallas, and so I was going to fly too. So one of the things I regularly do when I fly is, you know, of course, you go up that gangplank. It's like walking the gangplank. That's how it feels to me. Then you get on the plane. You get on that little silver tube of death. And then you make a right-hand turn, and then you go, and you find your seat, and all the people look at you in first class like you pee on. Get on back to your regular. But I almost always try to peer my head into the cockpit. I want to see the pilot, and I want to see the co-pilot. I, I thought everybody did that. And one time I remember seeing the pilot, and I felt so calm and so assured because he looked like a family man. You know, he was about 40, maybe 50, old enough to have driven, flown many, many miles, but yet young enough to stay awake behind the, behind the cockpit. And so I felt so good. And I always like to see, I want to get a glimpse of the pilot because that is some semblance, that is that thin veneer of me having some sort of control over what's going to happen in that plane. I don't know what I'd ever do if I looked and the pilot looked like he was 120. I mean, I would, what could I do? Or if the pilot looked like they were 16. You know, there's nothing I would actually do. But it just gives me a, a feeling of, of control. I don't want to control you, but I want to control my circumstances as best as possible. So I sit down. I go find my seat. And no one was, the, the cockpit was empty. I'm like, oh, that can't be good. 
You know, every little thing is, oh, I can't be good. It's never, this is God's blessings. Oh, I can't be good. So I sat down and on this particular leg of the journey, I was sitting next to Pastor Aslan. And we know you strap in and you get all the instructions of how to survive the apocalypse. And then, I, so I look over her, I said, did you, did you see the pilot? Did you get a glimpse of the pilot? <laughs> she looks over at me like, you know, I've got a third eye or something. And she goes, no. And I said, don't you ever try to see who the pilot is? And she starts laughing at me, her mother. And she says, no, mom, I've never, never even thought of that. So now I'm thinking, I'm the crazy person who's always trying to have control over who's. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, you don't have control. I have control over what's happening to this plane. And I know that here. And so this is good that I'm preaching on surrender to God. This is a good thing. I've had a, a wonderful lesson about it. And I, I guess I've always thought surrender, surrender is this horrible thing, like, okay, I've done everything else, so now I surrender. But the truth is, like with this virus that's going around, do we have really any control over it? I mean, we can control how many times we wash our hands. We can control who we're hugging and kissing. But that's about it. And so this has been a wonderful opportunity. This is a timely message. This is why I'm so glad we're still doing this Go Big campaign because God knows. We were surprised by this outbreak, but God was not surprised by this outbreak. We didn't know it was coming, but God knew exactly what was coming. And he knew exactly where we needed to be for our faith to grow. And so this is a perfect example, a perfect topic, a perfect reminder that God is in control. This is a perfect reminder that we can surrender to a God who loves us. And we're going to talk more about that in just a moment. God will provide for himself everything we need. What drives us forward is the conviction. This is a great time of testing for Christians. Do we believe in the goodness of God? Do we believe that God is sovereign? Do we believe that God is in control? Do we believe that his promises are true? Or are we going to give away to fear? We're going to give in to panic. We're going to give in to anxiety. The Bible says in Isaiah that even youth, even the strongest of you will grow weary and get tired. But those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. So I don't see this as a time of quarantine. I, I am being quarantined, but this is not, well, I'm not speaking quarantine over myself. I am speaking this as a time that I'm waiting upon the Lord. I'm waiting upon the Lord during this time because when this time is over, I will be renewed in my spirit. I will be renewed in my emotions. I'll be renewed in my body and I will rise up along with all of you and we'll take this city for Christ, because this is a time that God is saying, rest in me, relax in me. I've got this under control. We can do whatever we want to do, but God is in control. And if we don't waste this opportunity of quarantine, this is a time to rest and wait upon the Lord, look to the Lord, seek God's face, and believe that he has it all under control. Amen. Can you shout hallelujah in your home? If you've got a neighbor, give him a amen. 
All right, so let's continue with the journey. When they came to the place of which God had told Abraham, he built the altar there, laid the wood in order. I, <laughs> this, uh, this astounds me. I think if the third day had come and God had not sent me a countermand, a counter order, never mind, delay that order, and I was getting to the place where I was putting wood, I think I'd be throwing that wood every which way. Just slinging it down. So much for God's promises. So much for what God's big plan for my life. He's laying the wood in order. What kind of, what, who is this person? You notice he left Sarah at home, right? Have you noticed that? Sarah's not to be found here because we know what us mamas would be saying right about now. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh But Abraham's laying the wood on the fire in order. He's still doing what God has commanded him to do with the right attitude. Oh, hallelujah. Bound Isaac, his son. Now, you know there is no universe where a hundred-plus-year-old man can bind up a 20-year-old strapping youth. You know there's no place in that universe for this to be happening in the natural realm. Laid him on the altar? On top of the wood, what is Isaac thinking right about now? I don't like the looks of this. is making me feel queasy. I don't like how this is going. The Bible doesn't record that he says anything, which is typical for a teenager, but laying him on top of a pile of wood, looking for a, where's a, what, a, what's going? And I'm telling you, this kind of faith that Isaac displayed for, okay, Abraham's faith is good enough. I mean, he's the, the source of the story. But kudos to Isaac here, people. His, this faith of his father has been caught by Isaac. I know that Abraham taught Isaac about the ways of the Lord, about offering, uh, uh, how an offering is to be given to God, how the first of everything is to be given back to God. We know that Abraham taught Isaac the faith, but he must have taught it in such a way that Isaac actually caught the spirit of it. Because Isaac is not, there's not a word recorded. Isaac climbs on the wood and lays on the altar. Then Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son. Now, this is very difficult for us, for any culture to even read these words. Why are they even in the Bible? We always just kind of shuffle it off. Well, it's the Old Testament. We don't even have to do that anymore. You know, we, we're always making excuses for the Old Testament because we're living under the new covenant. And yet this is recorded for us to learn from, to glean from. There's an important truth here. Now, this what we're reading, this account we're reading, isn't just about murdering Isaac. If God just wanted Isaac to be murdered, Abraham could have murdered him at any point, stabbed him in the tent, you know, pushed him off the edge of the mountain. It's not about murdering Isaac. This passage is about what God has established in the Old Testament about offering to him the first fruits about offering him the first of everything, the first of the cattle, the first of the sheep, the first of the grain, the first of the fruit. This was, this was about offering to God what belonged to God. And that was the first of everything. Now, I think I would have at this point kind of been, well, God, you know, he's not really the first. I think I would have thrown Ishmael under the bus and like, well, you know, Ishmael is the first one. He's not really, 
But the truth is, Isaac was the firstborn because he was the one that God intended. He was the supernatural son. Ishmael was the natural birth. Isaac was supernatural from God and he was the first son. The only way the firstborn could be spared, whether it was the firstborn of sheep, cattle, in this case, Isaac, was that another offering was made substitute for him. So when God said to Abraham, offer me Isaac, your son, we, we, we don't have a point of reference. We don't have a framework to put that, what, what that meant. But Abraham knew exactly what that meant. That meant you offer up to Isaac because he is the firstborn and the first of everything is a debt that every person owes to God because he owns it all anyway. So he was saying to Abraham, I want to know, I want to make sure that you know this is a debt that you owe me. And Abraham is going to go through with it. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham. And he, once again, he goes, here, I'm here. I'm, I stand ready. Thank you, God. I stand ready. You're stopping me. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. God is seen here and Abraham is seen here that there's nothing that he cannot entrust to God's care. There's not a thing that, he, that is beyond God's ability to, to take care of for Abraham. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by the horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Now here's something I, I kind of want to move into a, a prophetic mode here. I think if, if we were naming this place, we know how important names are. Names of places are very important. It's very important what we name our children. Because when you name something, especially a name in a place like this in the Hebrew tradition, it, it, it kind of put it in freeze, freeze frame. It encapsulated everything that is meant, the hopes and the dreams and what happened on that spot. So you would think that Abraham would call this place, here is where I obeyed. Here is where I was willing to give a sacrifice to God. But what does Abraham call this place? Here is where God provided for me. Here is where God provided a substitute, a better sacrifice than what I could offer. Something more impressive than Abraham's obedience was God's commitment to Abraham. Abraham, he said, Abraham, I will not only fulfill the covenant, I will fulfill the commitment, I will provide all the ingredients for it. And this is such a shadow, a foreshadowing of another one and only son who willingly climbed up on that cross for our sins. And this time God's hand was not stayed. This time that knife was plunged into the heart of our Savior.
But that is such of the commitment to God for his children. That's why Abraham said, this place will be called God will provide. God provided a savior for us. And I'm here to say, if he provided a savior for us, if he gave his one and only son that he loved more than anything, if God provided that and Jesus said, I'm willing, and he didn't utter a word, he was willing to go and die, what will God withhold from you? What will God withhold from you when he's given us his very own son? God's commitment to us is so great. It's so huge. It's shown in the commitment of Jesus dying for my sin. So God says, I will provide. Today, I'm going to name our home. Pastor Mark and I are going to call our home. God will provide. God will provide. And if you look, it says there was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. Now, in my imagination, everything about that moment slowed down for Abraham. He drew the knife. And I can imagine that the wind blowing through that mountaintop, that smell would have been seared on Abraham's brain. All the feelings, the heat of the fire, everything was frozen in time. And I know that if there was a ram there 10 minutes before that, Abraham would have seen it. So I don't believe that ram was there. I believe God provided it after the fact. And I am saying to you in your homes this morning, prophetically, God will provide a ram for your family. He's saying, look, look behind you. But wait a minute, I, I looked behind me yesterday. There, that, that provision wasn't there. It's going to be there now. He's saying, look behind you. Look to the side. I will provide. I will provide. I will provide. I am asking you to join us in speaking over our homes. For you that are young adults and you're just renting out a room, that room is now called the place. God will provide. Doesn't matter what the virus does. We're going to pray that it ends and it ends quickly. We're going to continue to pray for the healthcare workers. We're going to continue to pray for the grocers. We're going to continue to pray for the firemen. But God will provide for his children because he's made a commitment to us. He cannot fail us. He's given us his son to say, I will not fail you. I will not let you down. I have committed myself to you. I will provide. And you're going to look around. You're going to go, well, how can I give to the Go Big campaign? How can I feed? God will provide. You're going to see avenues of blessing, avenues of, of income, avenues of influence, people you never knew. You're going to look around and go, they weren't there last week. That wasn't there last week. But God will provide. Can you say amen in your home? Can you high five someone in your home? God will provide. That's why Abraham was so excited. That's why it wasn't about Abraham at this point, about how strong his faith was, how great his character was, even though that was impressive. The real impressive thing is God will not fail us. And when we look through our lives, and those of us that are older, we look through decades, and it's, it's not our response that's so impressive. It's God's commitment to his children that's impressive. It's God's commitment through my lifetime that makes me say, God, will provide. Not, oh, how great I was to believe, 
that the God who committed himself to me by me accepting the death of Jesus on the cross has said, not only have I done that, is there anything else I won't do for you? Can you imagine anything I won't do for you now that I have done this for you? Streams of blessing that were not there before will be there now. I believe that. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, the sand that is on the seashore. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth, that is us, the United States of America, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Your Isaac represents the thing that makes full surrender difficult for you. But I want you to think of it in a different way this morning as Pastor Peter joins me on stage. Don't want you to think of us how much you're giving up for God, how much you're giving up for God. The things that we hold in our hand aren't, aren't really ours anyway. We don't have control of our children. We, we think we do, we want to. But the things that we're holding up to God, we really don't have any control. Why don't we just surrender them to God and let his commitment to us become stronger because we're allowing him that place in our heart, that place in our finances, that place in our life, that place in our home. Amen? Amen. Wow. Was that good? That was good, wasn't it? God will provide. Yes. Simply because we surrender, yes. we can receive what he will provide. When we don't surrender, we can't receive it. We're so glad that you joined us today and we're so glad that you got together. Remember that every week that we're going to be broadcasting and tune in every Sunday morning, 11 o'clock for however long that's going to be. Well, the fact is we actually stream every 11 o'clock for the last five, six, seven years. And so what an opportunity we have to be able to keep tuning in and receiving something good from God. And if you do have a stream party and take a photograph of it, post it on the internet and hashtag that Northwest Sundays, hashtag Northwest Sundays. But of course, for the full experience, if you want to see all the worship and the teaching, go to northwestorlando.com. We only do the teaching on Facebook. You can have two options there, of course, as well. And then right after the service, if you go to our Facebook page, we have the Children's Church pastors have been posting a video right now as I speak to be able to, for you to show it to your kids and to share it with them so they don't miss out on what's happening with, with the Children's Church as well. We love you guys and we want to just pray with you before we leave. Father, we pray that every person that's watching or listening to this broadcast right now will be blessed and filled up in the name of Jesus. That there will be a faith that will rise up inside of them that will trip over from their mouths and it will say, God will provide. God will provide. Father, we bless you and we thank you for this great day. And we just pray for your spirit to fill us up in your precious son's name. May God bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. We'll see you next week. Well done, guys.